This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today, we are honing in on the draft and prospects. This is going to be a weekly show every single Thursday where we look at the college prospects and how the current rookie class is doing. We're going to get that set up so that we might, you know, use that as a little bit of a launching point for a future draft podcast. But before that, we're going to talk to Julius Lux about some news and Kyle Trimble about some injuries. Now, how are you doing today, Julius? All is well on my end. Can't complain. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Busy as ever and uh feeling good though it's, it's, it's nice because you that the few days between nfl sunday and thursday it's like it's a very peaceful time <laughs> mm-hmm. you know i'm watching so many games on sunday trying to, to to recap everything and then you kind of just get through that you hit monday and then you finish that you have a few days to relax then you got thursday night and it kind of just ramps up from there again so Right in the middle of that now, it's it's Wednesday night, and, and that's perfect. But let's jump into some news. What do you have for us today? All right, so the first piece of news I got. The NFL sends a warning letter to Bruce Arians for his actions on the sideline during Sunday's matchup versus the Saints. The former head coach, now the senior advisor in the organization, was involved in jawing with Marshawn Lattimore that led to other Bucks players, including Tom Brady... Leonard Fournette and, of course, Mike Evans getting involved with Lattimore. Fines and penalties to the team were a threat in the letter to the Bucks and Arians. Yeah, he's kind of known for having a bit of a temper on the sideline. He's like, he's pushed a player before or something or like, like, I don't know. He did something, something that that people called him out for. So he he's a little old school in that way. A little, little, you know, he's got a little fire to him, so. I understand. You know, I'm not sure why he's on the sideline to begin with, considering what his current role is with the organization. You would think he would just be up in a press box or something. Maybe that's what will happen from now on. Yeah, I was very I, – I honestly, like, saw him on the sidelines in the in the um, the highlights. I didn't even notice that he was mm-hmm. down there. They replayed it, and I was like, oh, Bruce is down there. So it was kind of shocking to see that, but I'm sure he'll – be in the in the booth for the next game to kind of keep it cautious keep the attention away (laughs) you know all that so he'll play it safe on that one chargers quarterback justin herbert was limited in practice and is considered day-to-day still the organization is optimistic uh, the organization is optimistic about the rib cartilage fracture but of course they will be cautious with his injury so his status for week three is still unsure yeah we talk about that with kyle coming up here in, in a minute so for further insights on that, hang tight. Sounds good. Make sure you guys catch up on that. Kennedy Galladay voiced his his frustration on the lack of snaps he played this past Sunday. So I'm not sure if you noticed, he played a, a very short amount. I think it wasn't even like a handful. He expects it to be a different situation for week three. And he admitted he was confused and feels like he should be playing. But since he's joined the Giants, it's been, you know, it's been rough. He hasn't even scored a touchdown with the team. Well, they drafted uh, Wandale Robinson. Sterling Shepard has been playing well. Kadarius Toney has been showing flashes. And, and I mean, it's not this 
leadership group that paid him that big contract. They're, they don't feel obligated to him in any way. So if he's being outplayed in practice, then they don't really care that he has a bigger contract. They're not going to play him. So, you know, I doubt very, very much that it has anything to do with, you know, anything besides production. So I understand he's frustrated, but I'm not sure, you know, why he would be surprised. Yeah, I mean, Kenny Galladay, when he was with Detroit, was a pr- he had those big years there, especially towards, you know, his contract years. So g- him getting that big contract and now he's not playing, it's definitely a cap hit on the Giants. And, you know, they obviously, you know, they're probably one of the worst 2-0 and teams that we've seen. You know, it is the start of the season. But, um, you know, it, it kind of just seems – I know it's the organ- it's not the group that signed him, but, you know, just the amount of money he got and he's not even getting playing time, it's just, you know – it's it's such a hit and it it's potentially one of the worst contracts we've seen in an off season as of right now even if if this trend continues absolutely yeah yeah uh, it was a terrible contract then it's a bad contract now and hopefully for everybody's sake you can turn it around get on the field and and make some plays but right now he's got to play his way there absolutely agree with you on that Rams tight end Bryson Hopkins has been suspended three games for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. He will be eligible to return for week six. Yeah, I'm not sure what there is to say about this. He violated the substance abuse policy and he's suspended. I mean, don't like don't do that. (laughs) No. Yeah, I don't have a hot take for this one. This is this is a this is a headline. This is a headline without any text underneath. It is just a blanket statement. Yeah, it's just I'm just telling you, and it's like, got it. <laughs> and if you guys don't know who Hopkins is, because, you know, he's not really the top. He's not the top tight end for the Rams. He did get a decent amount of playing time in the Super Bowl, did a pretty solid job there. Moving on, going back to the Buccaneers, Mike Evans' suspension appeal was denied, so he's officially out for week three against Green Bay. So a nice big matchup between, you know, two solid NFC teams, and the number one target for Tom Brady is not going to be playing. So that means that what it's it's a uh, Scotty Miller and Cole Beasley is the, absolutely is the and and, and we don't yeah and we don't know the, the status of Julio and Chris Godwin and it's it's not looking mm-hmm. too good right now so yeah it looks like it's gonna be a it's gonna be a nice little slot day for the for those guys yeah well they they have a couple other guys I mean I joke but I know yeah, I I know Russell that they Gage. have Russell Gage yeah yeah exactly and I know they have the uh, Tyler uh, what's his name Tyler. Tyler Johnson, I think he they drafted yeah. him, I want to say last year. So, yeah, I might have to consider starting Russell Gage of fantasy. He's on my bench, my last pick. So, I mean, I got it because I have Evans, and he's suspended. this would be the day. This would be this, the week. It, 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 yeah, Adam Thielen and Marquez Valdez Scantling aren't doing too much for me right now. So, it might <laughs> f- fingers crossed. Moving on though, Joe Hayden announces his retirement from the NFL, playing 12 seasons with the Browns and the Steelers. He signed a one-day deal to retire as a Cleveland Brown. So he had a pretty solid career, especially, you know, in his prime. He was a pretty solid corner. Yeah, he had a really nice career, a long one. Uh, He he definitely wasn't a shutdown guy, but he, I mean, at the the end of his career, but he played well for the Steelers. And it's nice that one of those few good players from that era of Browns football gets to sign with them and, and retire officially with the organization. Yeah, solid career for him. Um, played for the Florida Gators. Shout out my favorite college football team. He played in that dynasty in that era, so that was fun to watch him then. Great career, and we wish him the best in his next phase of life. 
Here's an interesting headline I'd got for you. I figured you'd enjoy this one. Joe Burrow has deleted his Twitter and Instagram apps after the Bengals have gotten off to an 0-2 start. He was apparently he was asked about he was asked something in the press and he just threw it out there that he hasn't seen anything because he's gotten rid of his social media. And mm-hmm. it just seems like, you know, after an 0-2 start, you know, we have a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover. We need to focus, get ready. And he did say he's not worried about, you know, the 0-2 start. He says he's not worried. They just got to regroup and focus on week three. Yeah, I'm not sure if he if he deleted his profile or if he just deleted the app from his phone. I think that might be what he did. But either way, this is not uncommon. I, I know a lot of players who I think even I think more players do this than you realize. They just don't have the app on their phone in season like they hit training camp and they just turn it off and, and they focus on the sport and then once the season concludes they put it back on their phone and they interact with people a little bit more but most of those guys they pay some business to to manage it just you know they do it for tons of different athletes just to continue engagement but yeah if you if you get a like from joe burrow now you can be 100 percent sure that it wasn't him even though it probably wasn't anyway <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So we got our um, our players of the week for week two. So congrats. I've always I can never say this name, so I'm going to go for it. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, Tua Tagovailoa. I hope I said that right. Um, <laughs> I've been practicing almost the whole time. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, those are the players of the week on the offensive side. Jalen Watson, who had the pick six, the 99 yard pick six for the Chiefs. Mm-hmm defensive player in the AFC Darius Slay with the two picks NFC player uh, defensive player and um, I just wanted to give a shout out to your Jets Braden Mann got a special teams player of the week I just wanted to throw that out there for your for your pleasure <laughs> yeah that's funny so it's Tua Tungovailoa like uh like you're saying tongue oh is tongue it really present yeah yeah because I've heard so many different things I mm-hmm. and everyone at this point just calls him Tua and that's what <laughs> I do but obviously I have to give the full name for you know people who may not know that are listening in so <laughs> yeah I have well to I'm sure everybody knows it's Tua and it's a valiant effort but yeah uh, Tungo Vailoa is how you say his last name Tungo but yeah and then as far as Braden Man, what a game because he was pretty <laughs> bad in week one to the point where they brought in another punter to to compete with him during the week and he came back with a, a huge day and honestly his day punting was fine but he converted a fake punt on fourth down for like 17 yards he, th- he threw the ball and completed it and then he had an absolutely ridiculously perfect um uh onside kick that the Jets were able to recover so I'm not surprised he got it because that was an impressive day for a punter. I mean, in pretty much every way but punting. No, absolutely. Yeah, I just it definitely deserved, especially, you know, with he definitely, you know, really helped the Jets come back in that in that final, you know, stretch of the game. And he took it personally, it seemed like when they brought in a new kicker, as, you know, <laughs> the little Michael Jordan S there. He took it personally and he came out and, you know, he got this cool little honor for him. So good for them. Thanks so much for coming on to break down the news with us tonight, Julius. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? So on Twitter, you can find me, GotJuice44. That's on Twitter, GotJuice44. GridironRogues.com, you can find my articles and all the appearances I've made on the podcast. And on Facebook, you can find me at Julius Lux. Julius Lux on Facebook. You'll find my articles there as well. Beautiful. And we will see you again tomorrow. 
And next week, we have a five-episode week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you will get us in your ears. So if you like the show, all the better for you. And that's going to take us right into our conversation with Kyle Trimble. Julius, thanks again. We'll see you soon. Thank you. See you tomorrow. All right, we are back with Kyle Trimble, doctor of physical therapy, and of course, operator of Banged Up Bills. He is going to help us run through some of the biggest injuries of the week. Normally, we have him on Wednesday. We'll have him on Thursday today. So I've been waiting to find out what his opinion are on some of these big-time injuries. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on again. Always, always, always my pleasure. So what we do here is... I pretty much set you up and you, and you take it away. Let us know who are some of the biggest injuries and what your opinion is on them. All right. So we're going to start off with the AFC East uh, from the Monday night game with the Buffalo Bills and Tennessee Titans. Uh, there was a scary uh, injury uh, late in the second quarter when quarterback Dane Jackson uh, took down Tennessee Titans wide receiver Traylon Burks. He tackled him and fellow teammate linebacker Tremaine Edmonds Attempted to help take Burks down, tried tackling him, but Burks ducked down, unfortunately went flying over, uh, causing friendly fire and hitting Dane Jackson in the head. Uh, the uh, hit from Tremaine Edmonds hitting Dane Jackson forced his head into, or excuse me, forced the neck into cervical hyperextension. There was a concern for a uh, cervical neck injury, spinal cord injury, so that's why they brought the immobilization board out and the ambulance out for further evaluation. This is standard protocol when there is a suspected uh, neck injury, cervical injury. Uh, so it does not indicate the uh, level of severity, but they follow what's called the Canadian C-spine rules. And if there's any suspicion of that stuff, then it goes for radiography and then it's through mobilization and uh, kind of go moving forward with that. So fortunately, he was able to avoid any serious injuries such as um, uh, fracture in the area at least could be causing instability or paralysis um, as he was released the next day from the hospital and able to move all of his extremities. So he's not out of the woods yet. Uh, we don't have the exact details on what he's dealing with, but it's unlikely he plays in week three because he got his head almost ripped off, unfortunately. But um, positive outcome after what appeared to be a scary situation uh, coming out of the AFC East in Buffalo. Yeah, I was curious about how serious it was because you know, from the outside, I couldn't have told you if it was mostly precautionary or if it was, you know, really on the verge of being something serious. And I will tell you, <laughs> uh, I think the the hairs on the back of my neck stood up a little bit when you said almost got his head ripped off. So whew, that's a that's a big one, man. But glad to hear that for the most part, you know, he's certainly not hitting the worst of what could have been. Absolutely. So we're going to move down to AFC South next. We're going to deal with uh, Michael Pittman. He missed uh, week two with a quad injury. Uh, I'm not certain what side it is on and when he suffered the injury, but with the soft tissue injuries, it's best that they, if there's any issue with uh, performance, <clears throat> they try to avoid working through those to suffer further injury. So the issue with the quad is he's going to be running the routes. He has to stop on dime and he has to be able to accelerate quickly there. So, Sometimes a quad, depending on severity, isn't all that bad when you get up and running. It's that slowing down motion because the hamstrings can help drive the leg forward there. The quad does play an important part of the running mechanics and extending the leg, using that as a lever to push the body forward. 
but the hamstring's doing a lot of it there. So when the quad comes to play is when he's trying to cut on a dime, and if he can't slow down and start and stop, that's where it comes to be a real problem there. And then the quad's also going to be a, a key thing when it comes to jumping up. So he just wasn't able to perform uh, as as he needed to be. And with the Colts already 0-2, they can't afford to be putting their star players out there and losing for the season because they're trying to get a win and um, and stick pet in the AFC South. So uh, it's unfortunate, but it just says, with the soft tissue injuries, it's kind of touch and go just to see how it, it, they perform and if they can kind of work through it without any aggravation of the injuries. So uh, he'll be one to watch as the injury reports come out later this week. Yeah, you know, you, you never want to consider the fact that some of these teams might operate closer to the realm of malpractice than not, but I always wonder how much of the pressure of a season builds on these coaching staffs, these training staffs, these front offices to make decisions to get guys in earlier than they probably should be. We know that it happens. You know, I, I don't, I'm not saying the Colts will do that, but he's one to watch because they probably have the most pressure right now. They have been maybe the single most disappointing team in the league. So definitely one to keep an eye on. Absolutely. But those guys got to take care of themselves first before they uh, try to sacrifice for the team who might not pay them or take care of them later on. So, yeah, player, you know how athletes are. First. They almost always just want to get back in the game. Like they, they usually will say, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Even if yeah. they're not, you know, 100 percent, 100 percent. So but moving on from the AFC South, we're moving on to AFC West here. Uh, we're dealing with Jerry Judy. Um, he's dealing with a different type of injury uh they originally said shoulder injury then they moved it to a chest and ribs so there's a lot of different designations there based off of what head coach nathaniel hackett had said uh so now we have a clear idea what's going on with regards to his injury um he landed kind of on his right if i recall correctly the right shoulder and he was slow to get up in fact he, he needed assistance to get over um my buddy, pro football doc, Dr. David Chow, had suspected a uh, sternoclavicular joint uh, injury, and that would fit more with the initial shoulder and then the um, chest and rib area because the sternoclavicular joint. So if you find where kind of your Adam's apple is at and that kind of um, top of your sternum, but there's a little hole just above your chest so you can kind of palpate. Um, if you go over, you'll feel a bump just off to the side. That's your sternoclavicular joint on your chest. And that joint isn't supposed to move a whole lot. It does in terms of moving the arm around, but that's like the point where uh, the anchor point for your clavicle. So it can move up and down, rotate around. And when you suffer a blow of that, that area, it makes the area, I don't say unstable, but there's a lot of pain and it usually got, uh, pops out and it's, it, it's just not comfortable to deal with. And that takes usually a few weeks to kind of work through um several players the first i'm thinking off the top of my head is danny danny amandola he suffered one several years ago and uh the concern is make sure that could be pushing back on one of the main arteries that are uh, going back behind the clavicle but how it's designed it's it's either breaks or it kind of pops out forward but sometimes it does pop backwards and it becomes an emergency situa situation uh with judy that doesn't appear to be the case but we need a little more information um, and I don't know that he's going to play it next week just because of the injury, though they've clarified he's day-to-day. -day. Um, the other guy we're dealing with is Justin Herbert of the Chargers. He suffered a rib cartilage fracture, which is different from a rib fracture, but he still managed to be slinging the ball around. It's impressive what he did despite the pain, but 
basically what this is is you have your your ribs and then you have the cartilage in between that kind of help make um help connect everything together and then the muscles in between and there's a whole bunch of stuff in there so um he broke the cartilage which is like what you feel in your nose and your ears etc and that's more of a pain issue it's harder to play through because you can't just inject the area and numb it up like you can with a rib fracture so he there's potential he could miss the following week because he just needs some time to let the pain and inflammation uh, heal up and just allow kind of work through without aggravating the issue. Um, he can't really make it a ton worse by playing through it, but it just can he be effective in throwing the ball through that pain? And then of course taking the hits as he does as a quarterback. So um, the Chargers are looking pretty good right now, but losing Herbert early on isn't helping things. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh I always am curious to hear what your your projections are for some. So, you know, you do a great job of taking an injury that's already essentially been reported and, and breaking it down for our listeners. But you also have done such a good job of basically estimating what an injury is. So I'm curious to see if that's the case with Jerry Judy. I mean, one thing we didn't comment on yet is you nailed that Jamal Adams injury on the head. You hit it that it was the quad tendon before uh, pretty much anybody else did that I know of. And that's exactly what it was. So just again, just giving you props on that, but <laughs> we shall see. It, it, it's certainly an exact science and, you know, there's a lot of speculation out there, but mm-hmm. there's certain patterns you see with injuries or certain mechanisms you see. And it's, it's kind of, a, if it walks like a duck, if it sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck, but there's plenty of times we've all been fooled. I mean, look at the Zach Wilson ACL mm-hmm. tear that wasn't, you know, last month. So, it's an exact science, and then, of course, how the teams manage those injuries, too. It, it widely varies from team to team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I am I have so many questions to ask you throughout the course of the season about how a lot of these teams operate and, and, and like, what their, their plan is for certain things and, you know, the way that they go about business. But we have time for all that. Who else do you have for us today? Uh, we got Alvin Kamara dealing with the very same injury that Justin Herbert is dealing with in NFC South with the Saints there. Um, he's also the same boat. It's more of a pain tolerance issue. He can uh, try to put padding on the area. Um, I haven't seen whether he's going to try playing through it, though it's still very early in the week for them to make that determination. Um, it just comes down to pain, uh, whether he can play through it or not. Uh, and, of course, if you take the hits, that's just going to kind of restart the process in terms of hurting you're getting you're, uh, not short of breath, but you, you can't get the wind knocked out yet. And it's just, do you give the guy a week to let themselves really get right so they can perform at their best? So that's really what comes down with that. But you can only do so much with those rib cartilage injuries there. Um, and then uh, we're going to go right into the NFC East to finish up here. Um, is Dalton Schultz, the tight end with the uh, Cowboys. He's dealing with a, a PCL injury from what I was seeing. Um, I seeing a few different sources around that seems to be the most uh, consistent diagnosis from what we're getting reports of. So what the PCL is, is the cousin of the ACL. So the ACL uh, runs run, runway to help prevent the knee from what we call anterior translation, moving the tibia uh, forward and, and causing that, that knee to buckle there. So the PCL prevents the knee from going backwards too much. So it's kind of like uh, the knees can move forward in the ACL tear, and they do the anterior drawer test. If you do a posterior drawer test, the knee's going to go backwards. So you can almost get that kind of chicken leg look where the, the knee, the leg is bent backwards there. So that's where they kind of see what is torn based off of that. So thankfully, the PCL usually doesn't require surgery. 
sometimes guys have to miss a week or two as they try to uh, heal back up and just regain the stability of the knee because they can use a lot of musculature around the area to help stabilize it. Um, it has a great blood supply, so it can heal up on its own. We saw teammate Ezekiel Elliott deal with that last year. He was slowed by it, but he wasn't stopped altogether, and he didn't require surgery. So um, those usually happen due to a direct blow to the knee, whether they fall directly on the knee or they get hit with the, the foot planted and, and the knee bent backwards. Uh, but thankfully, it's a relatively minor injury compared to its cousin, the uh, ACL. But chance that Schultz might miss next week because of that as he's trying to work through the inflammation and pain. But this is something he can wear a knee brace through and, and continue to play through when he's ready to go. Yeah, I think he, he's a big one for the Cowboys, no doubt about it, as they continue to lose pieces here and there, particularly on the offense. I think a consistent, steady playmaker like him is, is pretty paramount to their offense. They got away with a good win against the Bengals, but I think they really need all hands on deck. So it'll be key to watch if he makes it onto the field this weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know I, I almost forgot the biggest one is looking at me right in the face with my biggest. I write all my injuries out, guys. So I'm going off of my, my cheat sheet here. Um, wrapping things up, we got uh, San Francisco 49ers, Trey Lance dealing with the right ankle fracture dislocation. Um, that, that was a horrible injury to see what happened. I mean, he, he sits on the bench all last year. He gets out there. He's named the starter. Has a so-so week one. Comes out week two. starting to make noise. And then he goes and breaks his ankle. Um, this is very similar to the Dak Prescott injury we've seen. Uh, a lot of other countless guys have had that ankle fracture dislocation um, requiring surgery in, in the end of the season. Uh, I did see some reports out there that some speculate that he could come back in late December and play, but that's a really, really aggressive timeline. And these guys are non-weight bearing for about six weeks, and then they start working through the rehab. Um, really what happens is the ankle dislocates and the force of the dislocation is so great. It breaks the, the outside part of your, part of your ankle, the, the fibula. So that's why you get that fracture dislocation. So they put mm -hmm. a plate in the, the fibula and then everything has to heal back up there. And then a lot of times you get the high ankle sprain mechanism in there too. So you're dealing with a lot of ligament healing, you're dealing with the bone healing, and then just everything's angry in there for a while. So you could come back to do normal things in a few months. It's just getting back to high level activities. We see, I've seen numbers of anywhere from four to six months. I've seen guys take a little bit longer from, you know, six up towards the nine months. Um, going back to my little bias as a bills guy, uh, Zach Moss had suffered this injury in the playoffs against the Colts in 2020. And he wasn't even right the next year afterward. He came back, was able to play all next year, but he couldn't make his cuts to the left because he couldn't, work off that ankle there. So with Trey Lance being more of a mobile quarterback, even if they could get Lance back in there, how could, how effective could he be in December? And I think that's just a horrible idea to try to rush him back. And you've got Jimmy G who can get him there and lead them. I mean, that, that worked out great for him with regards to the backup quarterback situation. So ride Jimmy G, get Trey Lance right, and he's done for the year. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense to rush him back for a multitude of reasons. I mean, A, all of the potential issues you could run into for him. But B, I mean, he's a guy who's, like you said, more mobile in his game. You basically would lose the majority of that. He's also a guy who's still working on his mechanics, still working on accuracy. I don't think trying to play through an injury is going to benefit, you know, refining that process at all whatsoever. And, you know, ultimately... What, how, how effective do you think that he's going to be 
even if they are contending. If they are contending, then Jimmy Garoppolo obviously played well enough. And if they're not, then why rush him back? You know, it just it doesn't make any sense. You're absolutely right. So, you know, I, this is this is the last thing I'll, I'll ask you real quick. When when you saw that that Dak Prescott injury last year, and you saw it actually live, do you remember how he? It almost seemed like he didn't realize what happened at first. Like he, do you remember that clip before I before I carry on with it? Yeah. So um, I remember he he realized the ankle was funny looking. I remember he tried hammer into the ground and it kind of reset and then fell back over and he's like okay something's going on here so he had to call over for training staff so those guys sometimes like you see the finger dislocations a lot they say okay reset it i'll get back out there and play um mm-hmm. we don't see too many true dislocations of the ankle uh, a lot of times it's that fracture dislocation just because of how the fibula goes down below where the ankle can move around so uh, he just figured, Hey, my look, my ankle looks funny. Let's see if I can fix it. And he couldn't. So, um, he was probably in shock at that point. And then the pain sets in, but, uh, mm-hmm. Lance, I think knew right away what was going on there. So, yeah, I, I, that it always stood out to me. Cause I was like, Oh man, he just pounded that into the ground. Like I, my interpretation was that he was so in the game that something felt weird. And he thought his cleat was part way off or something like that. Cause he just, he just jammed a foot in the ground. I was like, Oh my God, that was, that was one of those moments that you never forget as a sports fan. Like, oof. well, I'll share a quick personal story with you. So I, I wrestled in high school and I dislocated my shoulder in a wrestling match and mm-hmm. I didn't realize what happened at the time, but I got up and I said, man, my shoulder feels, feels real funny. And I look over my coach, the ones that are getting ready to puke in the, the trash basket. The other ones tell me to roll it out. And I'm thinking, I got to roll this out. My shoulder feels funny. And then the athletic chair comes over. He goes, it's okay. It's okay. You're done. You're done. I'm like, what are you talking about? My shoulder feels funny. Help me look at, you know, help me fix it. I looked down and it's three inches out of the socket. And I said, oh, okay. And mm-hmm. then the pain set mm-hmm. in. So mm-hmm. there's definitely that, that athlete mentality. Hey, let's fix it. Oh, there's a real problem here. So I know what Dak yeah. was going through when he did that last year. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get it. I mean, I, I remember I broke my collarbone skateboarding when I was younger and I, the way I went down onto a ramp, I hit it like fully broken you know, um, I'm like shoulder impact first. And I got up and I was like, Oh my God, my knee. Cause I whacked that. I'm, I'm like kind of waddling around, like, you know, like cursing under my breath about my knee. And it's not until a, a couple of minutes later that I realized that like my, there is something very wrong with my shoulder. So I, I get it. I do get that, but all right, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on and talking about some of these injuries with me and we will continue to have you on every single Wednesday going forward. But between now and then, let everybody know where they can find you. So you can find my uh, work at bangedupbills.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram at bangedupbills. Beautiful. All right, Kyle. We will see you again next Wednesday. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select... Listen, thank you. All right, everybody, this is why we are doing a Thursday episode. We are expanding our draft talk. We're going to have a full rookie segment and a full 2023 prospect segment. So every Thursday, you will get a double dose of draft conversation. And with me to do that today, we have Nick Miriam. How are you doing, Nick? Doing great. In the swing of things, we're more down the like schedule now. We're just week by week watching the games doing the work and it's it's good i have everything i have my stuff together now 
<laughs> yeah, I know, I feel the same. I feel the same. After two weeks, I it's not getting easier, but it's getting more organized. I guess that's the best way that I can put it. Um, okay, so 2022 class is an interesting class. We've talked about it before. This this class had essentially three key features, especially at the top: a lack of quarterbacks, a dearth of wide receivers, and a very defensive heavy talent pool. So that's going to be what we talk about a little bit. We're going to touch on the top five, which is very defense heavy. We're going to touch on some of these wide receivers and how they've been doing so far in the league. And then we have a couple other guys that we're going to shout out as well. But that's what to look for going forward. Nick, I'm going to throw it to you. What are some of your thoughts on this top five? How do you think they're performing? I think the way that you said it before was as advertised. So who do you think has yes. had the best, the best early um, season? The best early season so far, honestly, has been your guy Sauce Gardner. He has been tremendous, uh, and I think, and and just a, a quick warning because a lot of people make this mistake at this point in the season. It's been two games. You cannot make any, even about non rookies. We don't know what's going on. This season is going to look way different in early December than it does now. For all we know, the Colts turn around and end up being a 12 and 4 team. You know, we don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Um, so let's just say that. But <laughs> so far, the top four, because Kayvon Thibodeau hasn't played yet. And again, don't panic. Whatever. Guys start out injured and they end up being Hall of Famers anyway sometimes. It's fine. He hasn't played yet. I'm sure he'll be good. The other four have looked good. Sauce Gardner, I think, has been the best. Uh, he has just stepped right into that role in that Jets defense that I think he fits so perfectly and has been a lockdown player. Uh, I know they gave up 30 points this past week. That was more the Browns run game. Jacoby Brissett struggled and he's not the best quarterback, but the Browns do have some receivers in the Jets secondary uh, for the most part in that game held up. Derek Stingley, a guy who I think was unfairly uh, scrutinized by some, some didn't even have him as a top 20 player uh, because he hadn't played well in, in, in two years has stepped into a Texans defense that has, in my opinion, way less talent than the Jets and really everyone else. And he's looked also fantastic. So in my opinion right now, those are the top two players projection-wise for this draft. If I were to power rank like the, the projection of players, I know we had the edge players one, two. I had Hutchinson as my top player. I think corners a more important position now in a pass-heavy league where you know even if you get pressure, quarterbacks can get the ball out quick. Those guys have been tremendous to start out. And I think they... The Texans, we saw they used more man coverage this, this past week, which fits what Stingley is, and it helped him out. And their defense has been pretty good to start out here. They played uh, the Colts, who obviously struggled, but they played Denver this past week, who I know haven't scored a lot of points, but they've moved the ball, and they held up their bar, end of the bargain, even though they only scored nine points, and Houston gave themselves a chance because of it. Uh, the edge players, it's it's there's flashes. They they look what you I know Hutchinson had three sacks this week. I'll get I'll get to that in a second. But it's kind of the same thing with both him and Trevon Walker because and I know this because I watched Washington give up big plays to, to both of these guys. Walker, <laughs> we see the flashes. The pass rush win rate isn't really there yet, but that interception he had off of Wentz, not many people can do that. Like that's just him being a great athlete, and that's why you draft that guy, right? We're gonna know what he is. 2023 2024 like we don't know yet and i'm not going to make any determinations on him right now but so far the move to edge for him from like the defensive four-eye position he played at georgia it's working and he definitely fits there 
Hutchinson as a run defender, excellent. As a pass rusher, he's looked good. I think that he's going to get a lot of praise for this week because the three sacks he had were all kind of cleanup pressure from Detroit sending like six and seven players on blitzes and Carson Wentz being unable to deal with the blitz at all, which (laughs) is quite frankly an offensive coordinator's problem too. You need to give your guy hot routes and ways to get out of that. But he, you know, was injured in that game. He was still playing on an injury um, and really kind of as advertised a guy who, we lauded his toughness, you know, coming from the Big Ten, great run defender. Looks like that. Fits the Detroit, you know, culture very well. They are a we're going to hit you in the mouth type team. Great in the trenches. Very physical. I think a better team than people. I think the Lions are like a playoff team. I think they're a good football team. You score 35 points in your first two weeks. Um, you're, you're doing good things. And he is part of the reason why they have a shot on defense, despite not great personnel because you can see the upside. It might be a couple of weeks before he really takes off, but he is, he's a good player and they were right to take him where they did. Yeah, no doubt. So it's been fun to watch all of these guys contribute so quickly again, Thibodeau aside, but that it's not a, a, a horrible injury. So he'll be back before you know it. And the, the team is playing well under the circumstances, even without him. So it's nice that he can step back in and, and there isn't just this crazy pressure on him to help turn things around. I think that's always a little bit underrated for very high draft picks because usually that team was bad and a lot of people are watching to see if that player makes the kind of impact that warrants them being a top five pick. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, maybe it'll take a little while. I don't know, but it's nice that he doesn't have that mental pressure on top of everything. As far as the other guys, Hutchinson getting cleanup sacks is something I 100% expected. And I think... There's a lot of value to that. I think Jermaine Johnson is a guy who's going to get that as well. And, you know, he may not have a crazy pass rush win rate, just like Hutchinson, but those sacks, the sack numbers, will always be hovering around 10, if not a little more, just because of that. Uh, So I I think, like you said, in the run game, he's been playing very, very well. And I think he brings a lot of intangible to the table. You know, that was constantly talked about leading up to the draft. And we've seen it in action. I think he is definitely already a leader on the defense. And watching him play is fun. There's no doubt about it. As far as the corners, I think it's such an interesting conversation to have when you're talking about coverage players versus pass rushers. I think it's tough to say, but there is one thing that's for sure. Corner play tends to be much more volatile and and have a higher variance year to year than pass rushers do. So there is a little bit more of a confidence when you when you get that. But if you have a lockdown corner, it is a numbers changer. I think anytime you have a player who can change the way that one side of the ball has to play to account for you or changes the way you can play because you have that player, it's incredibly valuable. So a good pass rusher is not as impactful as a numbers changing corner, as a shutdown corner. But I think a numbers changing pass rusher probably still takes the cake because it kind of lets you dictate how the offensive line has to play against you. So I think if you're looking at that top five, there's probably more numbers changing play from those corners than from those pass rushers. But I understand, you know, it, 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 I think it comes down to team preference. I think there's an argument made either way. As far as Walker, I think that what he has done is shown you he belongs in the NFL. 
we won't know if he was worth the first overall pick for a couple of years, like you said. But I do know that he is an, a legitimate NFL player who can impact the game. So if he was, if he is a more impactful player than a Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, Thibodeau, or, or any of those guys, I can't say for certain yet. Nobody can. But it is good to see that he is sliding right in and looking like he belongs. And again, versatility is key for him. He's going to be able to make plays in the passing game. He's going to be able to give an offensive line trouble running stunts and, and twists and stuff like that just because, A, he can move all over the place, but, B, he has the athleticism to get from one place to another quickly in the middle of a pass rush. So I, I'm interested to see how they utilize him over the remainder of the year. But And then, you know, at the corner position, it's been really cool to see those guys step in. There's always so much hype. So much hype for top five picks and corners often do not live up to that early, but these guys really have. I mean, it's cool. It's it's funny that everybody wants to say that um, Lovey Smith is only a Tampa 2 guy. Well, when you have a shutdown corner, you don't have to run Tampa 2. Tampa 2 isn't, it's not an ideology that exists in, in a vacuum. It is something that exists when you don't have certain kinds of players. So it's cool to see how they've utilized them. Yeah. And I, I agree on most of your discussion about edge and corners. I think it's the, I think the one thing I would throw in there is edges. And this was tweeted this morning by somebody who I, who I follow. I don't remember who it was. I'm sorry. So I'm stealing this without crediting <laughs> you. My bad, but edge position going from college to the NFL is at this point solved. We know what, good edges in college look like we can find them identify them it's usually an athlete who wins a lot in terms of pressure rate not necessarily sacks and can hold up against the run and has the size and the length right corner is not it's a very hard position to scout and so that's why i think at this point i would credit the picks of sauce and stingley especially the stingley one because they really were like I know we, we were early. There were people who thought this guy was like one of the best players in the draft. There were people who really didn't think he was good. And I, I just, I, you know, I, I don't know how, why <laughs> we were there. Um, I don't, you know, guys, like, like you said, corners of volatile position. So, Oh, he hasn't played well in, in, th- in three years. Okay. There are Jalen Ramsey has had a year and a half stretch of not playing well, you know, like that mm-hmm. is the position, right? Mm-hmm. So I just I disagreed with that then, and I think you're seeing it now. And Sauce, lucky for him, played a great game against Alabama right before the draft. So he was <laughs> obviously going to be lauded by the draft community, and he deserved it because he was excellent. And you're seeing it, and I I think those are those players are good. Like I I think that that's it's you don't see corners kind of step in and just immediately look like. Pro Bowl, all pro potential talents that often, and both of them look like they could be. And I and Hutchinson and Walker, maybe, maybe, but I, it's you know they're not Miles Garrett yet, you know. And mm-hmm. I think those other two, like you see it, it's there. Yeah, it's pretty clear. It's I would say obvious even. All right, let's jump along to the wide receivers. This draft was loaded with them at the top. Who are your best receivers so far? When you look at the two game sample size we have. Oh man, I mean they all have been good. Like really. Like other than um who's the one guy who's injured? Jameson Williams, who I believe again, Lions, they scored 35 points in each of the first two games. When he comes back, 
thinking like post Thanksgiving, uh, it might be a little before Thanksgiving, they could be dangerous. Um, but all those first round wide receivers have been great. Um, my top guy was Garrett Wilson. Uh, I thought he was maybe the, one of the highest floor receivers I'd seen come out, maybe other than Jamar Chase. He's just, he just looks, you know, and we're going to talk about guys later in this who, if you look good and the same as you did in college, you're playing the same style and you look good immediately. You're probably going to work in the NFL. You haven't had mm-hmm. to change a whole lot. You're doing the same stuff. The level of talent around you has changed. It hasn't affected you. Like you're the same player. Garrett Wilson looks similar, if not more refined than he did in college playing for the Jets. And I think he's only going to get better. I think last week was signs of what he can be. Uh, but he is just all around that like you see it, the route running, the power, like he is stronger and faster than you think. Uh, really good athlete, really technical route runner, good hands after the catch adds something. We've seen him make a couple of players miss after the catch. Uh, he's a guy who can go inside the slot. You can hand him the ball. He can go outside. I just think, you know, between him and Elijah Moore, who might be a little more limited, you've got two now very versatile weapons. You can get a lot out of there in New York. And, that that pick to me just, it, it, I, I you know I didn't blame Atlanta for not taking him because I we'll talk about Drake London in a second here but Wilson was the like top receiver the safest pick no matter where you put him on an offense he's going to work and I think you're seeing that with the Jets who I think have other issues and it doesn't really matter he's playing great yeah I think he, he's looked tremendous in the first couple of weeks I think. Every single thing that he has done on the field was 100% expected, and he was also my top receiver for this draft. To me, Drake London was basically 1B, and it was a little bit of a choose-your-flavor, and I really liked his play style. But Garrett Wilson, I thought, was the most well-rounded when you talk about the speed, the run after the catch, the overall athleticism, the hands, everything. The one thing that has surprised me just ever so slightly is the intensity with which he was playing. And I don't know if that was subdued at Ohio State because they just had so many big-time guys and they were just winning such a high percent of the time that you didn't really see that on display. But he, he, his attitude isn't something I expected coming in. And it's been a little bit of a, of a refreshing surprise, I'll say that. And what I will say, moving on from Wilson, is... A lot of people say, oh, you can find receivers in the second round, even though it's a really important position. Well, guess what? So far this year, all the receivers that are, that are producing are first-round picks, and no one <laughs> other than, like, Kyle Phillips is, like, doing anything. And there are some good players in the other rounds who, who could, could end up being something still, like Pickens and Sky Moore still think they could be a, really good players. But immediately, London, Wilson, Alave, Dotson, Burks, like, those are the guys who are producing. Burks mm-hmm. has probably been the worst, but they're just finding ways to use him. He's kind of there have been some talks about how he's like not the most like playbook savvy player. So they're just finding ways to scheme him open and get him in space. And it's working. He's got a off to a pretty good start. Dotson is just, again, an all around. I think he's a lesser version of Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson. And uh, it's working for Washington who has a bunch of weapons over there. Chris Olave, another very safe receiver pick gets open, easy, smooth route runner, not the most physical receiver, but just works in an offense where you have other weapons. And then Drake London, we talked about the Corey Davis uh, position over at Boomer Bust, the X position in that Arthur Smith offense. Drake London is going to get it renamed to the Drake London position because he's just <laughs> a much better Corey Davis, in my opinion. And I think he's like a lock for a thousand yards. I said that last week. I just, they hit him on so many 15 yard deep overs, deep, you know, dig routes. It, it's just easy for him. He's just a big body. He can move for his size. 
you know, he's, he's 20 pounds from being a tight end. You know, he's just, it's an easy target for a Marcus Mariota who's not always the most accurate. And they have an offense that, that just works for him. It's just such a good fit with the Arthur Smith offense. Yeah, I understand. I, I think I want to see wide receiver wide receivers be a little bit, what's the right word? I don't know. Uh, animalistic out there. I like to see that intensity. I really do. Because when you get to the NFL, you are going to be playing corners with some serious attitude. It's the only way that you can succeed as a top corner in the NFL. You have to have swagger, confidence, and intensity when you're playing out there. And I think a lot of the guys we see do well in college at the receiver position don't handle that well. They might have good weeks here or there, but when they match up against those guys, they're lacking that I am going to win no matter what, and I'm going to tell you about it. And so I think there's a lot of different styles, but that was something that was extremely apparent to me in Drake London's tape. In a way that it, it wasn't with Garrett Wilson, when you see how he reacts to a big hit, when you see how he reacts getting his helmet knocked off, when you see how he goes up and gets the ball, I just knew that those traits were going to translate, and I was really high on him coming in. And I do agree with you. He is such a good fit for that offense. They like their big, powerful wide receivers. Speed is nice, but if you can win with power, strength, catch point ability, I think that it, if that's your flavor, he is definitely the guy for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they they have a floor as an offense. I think Atlanta is a team that's been pegged as a, you know, bottom eighth of the league team. I actually think they're frisky. I think they're going to beat some good a good team at some point this year because of Pitts, London, Patterson, Mariota not being horrible, and just the design of that offense and how it fits the weapons they have. Um, so th- those are the receivers. Let's just touch a couple guys that I looked at this week who played really well. I haven't gone over all the tape, but there are some guys who stood out to me. One of which is Zion Johnson, a guard for the Chargers, who we saw on Thursday night. The Chiefs had to move Chris Jones to the right side because he just wasn't beating Zion Johnson. And <laughs> offensive linemen, that's a position that especially you should not overreact to immediately because offensive linemen just don't play well year one usually. It's, it's mm-hmm. rare. The Rashawn Slaters, the, the Panay Sewells, the Tristan Wirfs, not, you know, the Andrew Thomases are like what you expect. Didn't look good year one. Looked a little better year two, and now he looks awesome. He looks great. Like he could be an all-pro player at this rate. He's been awesome for the Giants, and that's what you expect more often than not with developmental tackles. Zion Johnson has looked solid so far. Pass pro, run defense, run, run, run blocking. Just safe pick for the Chargers, and they have a good interior because of it, and it helped them. You know, Herbert got hurt anyways, but um, that was more probably because of scheme pressure than anything else. Um, and then linebackers. Devin Lloyd had a fantastic game this weekend. I'm not going to really talk about it a whole lot. He had a pick that was kind of fluky, just kind of fell to him, but he was great in coverage, great in the run game. He can pass rush, all-around player. I liked him coming out. He's doing well, but the big name for me right now is Malcolm Rodriguez is playing like one of the best linebackers in football. Right now. It's crazy, man. It is wild to see that a guy who was highlighted on hard knocks and you look and you're like, this is for sure a guy who is going to steal the show and then fade away and maybe be something at some point. But we're talking about basically trying to take away stuff from preseason. He has been so good. 
And I just like to pat myself on the back. I had a fourth round grade on this guy. He went in the sixth. So I wasn't like right, right, but he's, <laughs> I liked him coming out. He was a great athlete. You know, we often say with linebackers, it's not an instinctive position anymore. You can't be instinctive because you're just not going to be fast enough. You have to mm-hmm. see things before they happen to be smart. This guy is brilliant at reading things before they happen. He just sees things and he goes and he hits people. And he's not the biggest guy. It doesn't matter. He'll blow you up. Um, he's a stud. Like this guy is going to play for 10 years. Like, I, I actually like, just, I believe right now this guy is checkbox. Like you've got a linebacker for a while. Lines. Like I think he's exactly what I saw in college. Talk about this earlier. He looks like he was in college translates perfectly playing well you got it he's maybe not this excellent cover but actually he's he's been pretty good in coverage better than i expected um you know this is the linebacker who has the biggest impact so far and you're seeing it week one that's impressive you don't see that very often i will say i have some connections over the lions and i was hearing about this guy every week leading up to hard knocks like just not surprised they're like this is our best rookie you know aiden Mm -hmm. hudson is great but this guy's great um this guy's really good so they were all over him immediately um, I think that in hard knocks, you saw them kind of like, oh, you, you know, tell to the veterans, like, we don't want to make the rookie the starter, but you're playing in a way that like he might have to start. And then he kept putting him second <laughs> yeah. on the depth chart. Yeah. That's like, if you're a coach doing that, you're just trying to get your veterans play. Like he was the starter the whole time. They knew it. Mm-hmm. They were just trying to get more out of their veterans. There has been no doubt in Detroit since day one with him. He has been excellent. Yeah, it's been fun to watch him. And I think it, it makes it easy when he does have that personality, he's got that smile. Like he just, he's a fun guy to root for. And you always like the underdog stories, but I mean, I think coming in as a six round pick and being a high quality linebacker in the NFL, I mean, linebacker is also a position that we don't see translate quickly. Usually offensive line is one. Sure. But linebacker too. I mean, you've seen guys drafted high and many times it takes them two or even three years to become high quality starters. So I think you have got to give the Lions a major win. And in terms of major wins too, just to jump back to Zion Johnson for a second, I think I think they are still coming down off of getting Justin Herbert with the sixth overall pick in 2020 because Tom Telesco is he is having the best golf game of his life right now. I mean, he cannot miss this guy. I don't know when it's going to end, but getting Justin Herbert, turning around and getting Rayshon Slater in the first round, turning around and getting Zion Johnson. I mean, get whoever is on his staff, on your Asante, staff. Asante ASAP. Samuel Jr. looks great, too. Asante uh, Samuel Jr. has been incredible. And a lot of these, the funny thing is, a lot of these guys, the draft community was like, yeah, these guys are good players, but yeah, these guys are good players, but, and there was always like something that held it back, whether it's the shorter arms for Rayshon Slater, whether it's the smaller size for Asante Samuel, it's like everyone knew they were going to be good. And the chargers were the ones who just said, um, I don't care. You know what I mean? So it's been a major, a major couple of years of draft success for them. And they've set themselves up for the future. It's one of the main reasons that they've been able to spend so much money. It's not just Justin Herbert. It's all of these other high expense positions that have been immediate contributors for them. So I just wanted to touch on that for a minute. Cause again, Tom Telesco is feeling himself right now. Can't miss. It's been great. Um, you know, my position on size and players, I think it 
is <laughs> overblown, and that has been the case with Slater's arm size, and especially Asante Samuel Jr., who we loved over at Boom Robust. Uh, we had a first round grade on him. Uh, you know, yeah, that was one where falling to to where he did was kind of silly. He was just one of the best corners in, in college, and it just his size was it. People thought he was going to be a slot, and even then, he would be a really good slot. So I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't really understand it, but is what it is. All right, so that's going to do it for us for the rookie conversation. And now we'll be back in just a moment to talk about some 2023 prospects. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select. Oh, listen, thank you. All right, that's the rookie update. Now we are back to talk about some prospects. We're going to do another little update probably focusing on the quarterbacks more than anything. We're still only a few games into the season. Large-scale film breakdowns are still a little bit in the future for us. We're waiting on Owen. He is not feeling too well. Best wishes to him in his recovery. We expect him to be back next week to break down some more prospects. But Nick is going to give us his thoughts on the quarterback situation across the college football landscape and who we think is going to be at the top of the draft going forward. So any major updates, anybody change? Are you still in love with Bryce Young? Yeah, still am. Um, I'm excited when we start getting to really talk about certain players because I, I love to get into the nitty gritty. Um, I think I've kind of drawn out a pretty good argument for like why I'm like very into <laughs> watching him play. Um, and then we can, that's, that'll be more like the in-depth nerdy scouting stuff when we get to that. But I'm excited for that. Uh, CJ Stroud's been great. Uh, Will Levis, I think, continues to be good like I, I think he's on his way to being in the discussion for a first round pick i i still don't see the qb1 thing that that owen and i hope he feels better uh does see there are a couple concerns i i think it's, there's some like similarities in terms of josh allen's like development although allen never really had real coaching and this guy's at penn state now kentucky so you would yeah. expect better it's kind of the malik willis thing like oh he played a big school in georgia and was at auburn and Liberty as you freeze, you, you would expect his mechanics to be better. Will Levis, uh, there's a lot of upper body in that throw. Um, doesn't really step into it fully. So that's my one concern with his mechanics right now. But So we haven't seen his consistency yet, but you see the flash every week. It's, it's there, and teams are going to fall in love with that. Anthony Richardson, another not great week. Uh, I think the, the chances of him, I mean, it's been three weeks. We've had one great and two not so great. So I don't want to like be definitive about anything, but it becomes apparent with him that it's first round or go back to school type thing. Like he is, mm-hmm. it's one, it's going to be one or the other, you know, uh, which is pretty rare, I think. But in his case, he's just that talented in terms of physical tools that I can't imagine that if he's not clearly ready, that he's going to go to the NFL this year. Um, and right now it's kind of leaning towards the not going to the NFL because that mm-hmm. th- this week was, again, like the Kentucky game and against, you know, a not great opponent in South Florida. It was it wasn't it wasn't good. He uh, accuracy troubles, decision making, not as good mobility, good. But, you know, that was a given. Mm-hmm. Um, CJ Stroud, you know, first round pick. That's that's locked in. him and Bryce are locked in in my mind. I think they're going to be taken highly. Um the guy that we mentioned last week, and I want to love bringing up again, is Michael Penix, 
who uh, I did see in a mock draft this week, got mocked <laughs> late in the first round. Uh, he was great against Michigan State. And I do remember this. I, did, I mentioned in the last podcast it was a better defense they were going up against Michigan State. Michigan State actually had one of the worst passing defenses in college last year. I don't know if you remember the Ohio State game. Uh, they got torched, uh, lost like 56 to 7. So I don't know if their defense is that bad again. But even so, Penix lit them up. Uh, they scored 39. He threw, I think, four touchdown passes and was consistently pushing the ball down the field. And I just, I think his arm talent's great. I got a guy with like the footwork mechanics could probably use some work. He fades away from a lot of his throws and still puts a lot on it. But we're talking about like a 210 pound guy with a rocket arm, whereas Will Levis is, you know, 240 pounds. Um, mm-hmm. And I think throws it harder, but still, this, you know, Penix has the arm talent to be an NFL player. And, and there's probably more to be unlocked there. And he's not, you know, this big physical guy. So that's impressive. Um, I, I think, you know, if he's playing the way he is, he'll be probably in day two discussions at the very least. Um, and I think, I don't know about a first round. We'll see about that. But <laughs> Washington has some big games coming up, and they're ranked highly now, and there will be some spotlights on them. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how he does. They have a good receiving core and a good O-line. So that team's good. Like, I was all over them winning this week, and they they rolled. Um, so just that, that's the quarterback update. Um, if we want to touch on a couple guys who have had good starts, uh, Felix Anundike Uzoma, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Um, an edge rusher for Kansas State. He's been great so far. Uh, He's a guy that is kind of lengthy, uh, bendy type edge rusher. He's a pretty good athlete, but I think his balance is like his best trait. Um, He's been good. Isaiah Foskey, more of a physical big edge rusher at Notre Dame, has been pretty good. Uh, Andre Carter had a a two-and-a-half sack game for Army against UTSA. That's my guy. Um, B. John Robinson had an amazing game against Texas San Antonio this past weekend, and that's a good opponent, Texas San Antonio. Uh, Texas was playing against their next two games, Texas Tech and West Virginia. Those teams might not be better than Texas San Antonio. So uh, there's a chance that Quinn Ewers could be back for the Oklahoma game. And if he can and they can avoid losing these next two, they'll be exciting, and B. John Robinson – has been carrying them and been excellent. Blake Corm again from Michigan. They rolled 59 zip. He just explosive as we've seen. He was good. Uh, a couple disappointments for me so far. Oregon's defense hasn't been good. Noah Sewell, you know, you see the athleticism hasn't been a great start. Um, and and the one guy that that really um, has hurt me so far is I was so high on Eric Gilbert coming into the year. And obviously Georgia has a loaded tight end room. He hasn't played poorly. He just hasn't played at all. He has mm-hmm. no snaps on offense. So um, we're going to – I don't know what his deal is going to be. I, I believe he has another year of eligibility, so he'd be back. Um, he definitely has another year of eligibility. But just that's that's going to be another one where next year we're going to come in and be, and I'm going to be like, hey, this guy could be a top 10 pick, but he hasn't played. Um, and it's just upsetting because I think he is very, very good. But apparent, Kirby Smart – you know, I've had some issues with who he plays in the past. I'm Justin Fields over really the the whole situation with Jake Fromm, but well, it continues here because they really he's talented. I don't know why they're not using him, but well, I think you know reflect a little bit on what you have brought brought to the table here so far. First of all, when you're Georgia and you are probably the number one team in the country, you have the luxury of not playing draft prospects and just playing the guy who puts in maybe a little bit more effort, right? Like that's that's the the big difference between college football and the pros. Like you've got to win 
and you don't just have this infinite resource of five-star athletes, right? Like, you've got to play your best players. In college, if you're a program like Georgia, if you're a program like Alabama, you have so many that you can justify not putting a first-round prospect out there because there's another guy working harder than him, and you're probably still going to win almost every game. So I, I, I hear you from an evaluator standpoint. It's frustrating. But from a program-building standpoint, at least one of that magnitude, it probably is functional for them. As far as the quarterbacks go, man, I, it's not surprising that Owen has fallen in love with Will Levis because he is a Bills fan, right? So he gets to watch Josh Allen on a weekly basis. Like, he he sees something there, and, and I get it. I really do. So we'll see how that comes to fruition. We'll see about how NFL te- how, how NFL teams feel about him as the season goes on, and I cannot wait. All right, so for me, it's a little early for mock drafts, but we will absolutely be leaning into that. I think as we go through the season, this episode, it will be talking about rookies, we'll be talking about prospects. As each team becomes officially eliminated from the playoffs, we will talk about what their team needs are and what their draft outlook will be. And once we have a rough idea of maybe not exactly the order of the top 10, but when we have a pretty decent idea of what teams are actually going to be picking in the top 10, we will start to lean into mock drafts too. So I'm looking forward to it. We're not quite there yet. And we'll see We'll see if, if uh, Owen starts mocking Levis to, to anybody in that top 10. But, but yeah, and the last one is Richardson. Things are different than they used to be. A guy might feel pressure to go to the draft, even if he's not quite ready. But because of a couple of things, one, NIL, making them feel much more comfortable about going back and, and leaving, not leaving, I mean, it's not the same amount of money, but it's, they're not leaving a total change in, in, in their life on the table by going back to college. They are still going to get paid. An athlete like him at a program like Florida is going to make plenty of money, you know, or if he ends up transferring, so, um, Mhm. Mhm. And plus plus the other thing is I think we've seen enough that he doesn't have to be scared of getting injured. Like I think if he go if he comes back and he does play well in at least a couple of games and he gets hurt, we've seen that teams are basically willing to take on that risk if you've shown enough. So I think the the impetus to, to enter the draft and not go back to school is just not what it once was. So I would not be at all surprised if he does end up doing that. I, for, I forgot one guy I want to add in, uh, and it's it's a kind of an unfortunate note. Tyler Van Dyke, rough start for Miami, and I, I you know it's it's. I my dad went to Oregon. I'm not an Oregon homer, but I watch a lot of their games. I remember when Justin Herbert was clearly talented in Mario Cristobal's offense, kind of like what we have with Joe Lombardi in, in Los Angeles right now, just didn't push the ball down the field and never unlocked Herbert. I feel like this is kind of happening again with Tyler Van Dyke. I, I, he was a guy who, I, was, I said, if he's good, he's like Phillip Rivers, weird throwing motion, but accurate downfield, stands in the pocket, big body. Haven't seen it. Looks panicked. They're getting pressured. They're not giving him many options. Downfield accuracy has dipped. Not good for his development. I'm concerned. Miami, I don't know how good they really are. Uh, and I, 
I'm afraid that I, I don't want to, you know, call for a guy who's been here for three games now, but I always thought Cristobal was a little bit overhyped just because of recruiting and I, the coaching is, is, it hasn't translated to them playing well yet and they have some talent. So I'm a little concerned about that situation. How would you say the offensive line is playing right now in Miami? I, so Texas A&M has some pretty good defensive players. Uh, so it could be that they just, you know, 12th man, you know, it's tough to play in that building, couldn't hear anything, and they were just getting roughed up in that game. But it didn't look good, and they have, again, some guys, Zion Nelson is, is a name that, you know, I have a second-round grade coming in the air. I liked him last year, too. He, he struggled last year, so maybe he's just not making the correct movements upward to become an NFL player, but didn't have a great game. They, they have a couple interior players who have looked good, but it's just – you know, this is a team that I thought would be in the running with Clemson, the ACC, and they uh, that was that was not a good. I don't think A and M is that good. Like I think they're a good team. I think they'll be top twenty-five, but I don't think they're a team that you should struggle to score a single touchdown against. Period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially with the way that offense is these days. I mean, there are very, very few defenses that can genuinely shut down a good college offense. So, all right, I believe. That will do it for us today. We will be back next Thursday, hopefully with Owen, and we will be talking about some more rookies, whoever takes a big leap in week three, whoever has a big game, and of course, some prospects as well. And you know what? I think I think, this many weeks in, we can start to break down a couple of positions a little bit. So we'll get together. We'll talk about what position we want to go over, but I'd like to hit a specific group in the next prospect segment. All right, Nick, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, I mean, I'm here every week um, doing draft stuff, doing rookie stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Nick with Sports, producing content, and you could please follow Sports Info Solutions. We have a Twitter page. We have SIS underscore football on Twitter, putting out some, some information every week, and people use our data. Um, so you can check that out if you're, like, head of a football program and you happen to be listening to this. Uh, because we, <laughs> we do have a lot of stuff, including injury packages, which is kind of our main thing. Um, lots of fun stuff. Um, and especially on Twitter, that's that's where you'll find me doing the most stuff these days. I think with sports, I watching the games like right now. This is when I get to watch them Thursdays, Fridays. So I'm putting out opinions, and uh, I was just watching the Jaguars Colts game, and that was it's fun to watch because Trevor Lawrence had his best game yet, maybe. So cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to see what that 2121 crop of quarterbacks turns out as after a couple of years because that. That one, it just had everything. It had the talent. It had the game manager. It had guys from every program, every conference, every style you could possibly want. So that that will be definitely one to monitor. All right, Nick, we will see you next Thursday, man. Thanks so much. I'll see you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our Rookie and Draft Prospect episode for the week. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics football show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. We will be back tomorrow with a little bit of news, a Thursday night football recap, and every single game picked against the spread for Sunday. Alrighty, please rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate you, and we will see you all very soon.